0: This week's episode is a recording of a conversation produced by Tiffany Earle and Anneli Milne, the founders of Lemmy. We've done our best to enhance the audio of the 20-year-old conference call. While the sound may not be the best, the content is a classic.
1: Okay, well, today is the second half of our um, training on the writing course last week or a couple of weeks ago we talked a lot about the practice scholars and we're delving right into the writing process today I'm going to pick up on the six points of editing that's where I'm going to start and the to remind us once again that when the students get into the apprentice scholar class in practice scholar hopefully they practice communicating their thoughts and feelings on paper and for for about 2 years writing maybe one or two papers a week and if you look at that that's that's quite a bit of practice and um, some of the students already began asking questions and teachers already began explaining the writing process and in TGIC we move them to a higher level of writing where we actually have them do comparative writing Essay writing, research writing, um, brief writing for for lawyer cases and court cases, and until so they, they begin to write in certain forms other than whatever form they choose to express their thoughts opinion. and feelings. Th- and this is these six points of editing. We expect the teacher to teach the student. And there's no set place of when or how they teach these. The teacher just needs to know it well enough through their own practice and through seeing with their spiritual eyes where the student is to know, I'm going to add this into my class today. I'm going to talk about the six points of editing, or I'm going to talk about this part right here, or I'm going to talk about this part right here. So I'm going to go through these details and let you know what we expect the students to understand. The other thing to realize is not only do the all six need to be understood, but the student should be encouraged, and if we have any of our writing mentors on the call with us this morning, the students need to understand that when they're getting a paper ready for publication or to a certain level if they want to get it this far, and, and it's always a toss-up. I mean, you can take a paper and rewrite it so many times, or sometimes it's time to move on to a new paper,
0: but if...
1: And when, like second-level TGYC, we expect them to do original research and do it to the quality that they can publish it, which Mm -hmm. means that they, yes. I I just want to interject here one one uh, thing. Uh, They're not only just writing papers, but they're taking annotations on the books that they're reading, and they're taking notes during lectures. If they're taking really good notes during lectures and they're taking good annotations, they are getting, they're starting to get the habit of understanding the form of writing. because they are, because they're following the other writer's and speaker's form. Yes, that's right. So I just wanted to interject that it's not the only thing they're doing. And when you get done here, I want to uh, mention some things on mentoring. Yes, okay. to follow the thought that I was on, um, in second level, when we asked them to do original research, we want them to take that, um, sometimes it's a persuasive essay. It, they can pick a form that they want to to present their research in, and some may not even choose to do it in a form of writing. Some might choose a form of video or whatever, but mostly it's, it's encouraged them to do writing. But we expect them to have all six kinds of editors take a look. The, that I'm going to go through these six points of editing. Okay, first one, <clears throat> target audience. Now, some of this I touched on a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to go into depth. Here we go. To whom are you writing? That's really important. I worked with with a girl on, on a project that she was working on, and we had established who we were writing to, and then the first draft that came in, the language was such that, I said, actually, according to the language you're using, this is who you're writing to. I said, is that who you want to write to, or do you really want to write to who we established that you're writing to? And she said, I really want to write to that other person. And I had to go in and model for her the difference in her diction and in her language. And once she thought models, she could go in and actually write to that audience. And um, it, it took work, but... We speak differently depending on who we're talking to. The second question that that concerns target audience is, what do we want them to know? This will all be familiar to you because we ask it every time we teach. What do we want them to feel and what do we want them to do? And to be very concise, and that will help line up what you're going to say. And how you say it—it's the no feel do—and and you ask that in in as part of your tar- target audience. Okay. Second point of editing content: one, it will reflect the no feel do. The content will reflect what you want them to know, what you want them to feel, and what you want them to do. The second thing is, it will fall under the category of either poetry or prose. And poetry is very broad here. Um, Prose writers really didn't start writing until Aristotle. Most writers before then used the form of poetry. And It was really interesting, a class that I took from Dr. DeMille when he taught poetry and prose. And he took us through a battery of questions asking um, how, what poetry was, what prose was, and how poetry viewed prose, and how prose viewed poetry. And I remember I was just a guest in the class. I wasn't really part of his whole class, and so I was sitting in the back, and I wasn't saying a whole lot. And, um, I was watching and listening as the students were answering his questions, okay? And he said, how does prose view poetry? And and they would raise their hands and the, the general sentiment was that they really thought the poetry was superfluous and too flowery and they just wanted to reason logically and delineate the argument. And there wasn't going to be, um... A lot of imagery, or or a lot of um, this or that, and yeah. I was listening to that, and I just inside really disagreed. And um, he, I guess he could tell I was feeling or seeing something because he looked at me at the back of the room, and he said, "Tiffany, how does prose view poetry?" And <clears throat> I said, "Prose uses poetry," and um, sometimes. And I said, he said, how does poetry view prose? And people were saying, oh, it's just too straight. It's not enough. They don't, it doesn't want to use it. It wants to go over here and off on this tangent or over here. And I said, poetry uses prose. I said, when, when Shakespeare, all of the sudden in the middle of something, he'll go into great detail to persuade. And um, we had this huge conversation. Then this was an interesting thing. I wrote down on my paper, I remember I had my paper and I wrote, I asked myself this question, what books have impacted me the very most? And I wrote, I just quickly wrote down 10 or 15 of them. Boom, 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 boom. And then I said, was it poetry or prose? And I was shocked. They were all in the category of poetry. Like I put I put Billy Budd, you know, and, okay, it had been, like, I don't know how old I was when I, I had this class. It seemed like it had been, like, 13 years since I had read the book Billy Budd, okay? So, immediately, I was taken back to when I was in high school, and I was on my bed, and I was reading that scene in Billy Budd where the the good character um, acts in honor and Strikes a man, and the man falls dead, and so Billy Budd has to hang in the gallows. And the man that he struck um, was the evil man who was doing all this bad. But according to the law, Billy Budd had to hang. And of course, Herman Melville was all the writing was symbolic. And it all it was an allegory, and it had all of the allusions to the Bible and to the theme of sacrifice and a savior and just it it was all symbolic, and I remember i mean this was thirteen years later, and it just hit me with such force because of the power of the poetry and I went through all these books that had had changed my life and touched me, and all of them were poetry, 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 poetry like, oh my goodness. And and I maybe had one that the author wrote just prose and poetry, um, and that was C. S. Lewis, because he I I finally extended his to as an author, not just the books. But it was really interesting how and but it's a it's a question you can ask yourself. Do you enjoy reading prose books? Do you enjoy reading um literature and um poetry books? Now what about you? What have you found me, there? Well, let me just interject uh, I, I you know me, I'm prose. I'm all about prose. <laughs> so except for that you do poetry too, I look at you with Shakespeare, <laughs> yeah, but you know it's a lot easier for me to to really get into prose because i I am the kind of person that I just say, "Hey, just tell me about it, just just tell me don't don't try to don't try to get me to get it, you know." But because I've started to study a lot more Shakespeare and, and po- poetry, my ability to discern the message has really, really increased. I have really been able to say, oh, wow, I think I understand that in my own way. Oh, that and I, th- I think I was at a place where in my life I was, you know, I, I wasn't a great student growing up and I, you know, you know me. I don't like to read, and so it's very difficult sometimes for me to even sit down and and read a book. And so I was in a place where I felt very insecure about uh, my ability to learn, you know. But since I've really started to fall in love with the classics and fall in love with the wholeness of life uh, and what what education can offer me in a whole way. I've, I've been more able to pay the price to get the message I need to get, which I think has really refined my spiritual life, it's refined my ability to um, discern right from wrong. It's, it's, been, it, it, it's refined my ability to um, really feel the message of a book instead of just you know, tell me what what tell me what you're trying to say to me, right? Oh. And, right. And, and the life application has interesting. Come. That's so interesting because that is the biggest difference is that poetry usually is, is has many many layers, and we're not talking just stories here. That's we're not talking yeah. poetry oh. stories. We're not talking uh fiction historical fiction, which I totally love historical fiction. Yeah. Um, because that's, that's not, that's not what we're talking kind of poetry here. We're talking about, uh, words used that uh, imply a message. And by the way, for those of you who are interested, the study of prose and poetry is one of the first things you do in the study of rhetoric. It's one of the first things you have to start identifying, uh, in, in understanding rhetoric is, is this poetry or is this prose? And as soon as you can kind of discern that, then then you can start using the language rhetorically, and you can start understanding uh, the implied messages of the languages and things like that. That's right. And then the next part of content is I'm just I title ethos, pathos, logos, and that's where you as a writer have to establish. Um, your credibility, that's the ethos. We'll be going into ethos, pathos, and logos again when we do the the conference call on how to speak and on public speaking. But ethos is is where you actually establish um, your credibility. And, And it depends on the form that you're writing. There's Like if you pick up a book, somewhere on that book, the author's ethos is established. It might be on the back cover. it might be in the preface. It might be that so and so wrote a comment about them, but somewhere in in that it, um, form in the ethos is established sometimes it's just in the very form like if you get if you order a monograph um, at the at a bookstore, the monograph form itself lets you know that this is usually. Um, an educated professor who's writing on a topic or um, just even the form itself that you're getting. Like if, if you've ordered any of the monographs from George College, the Core and Love of Learning article or um, that form itself establishes the author's ethos. So um, it, it's interesting to think. So the next books that you pick up, ask yourself, how did they establish their ethos? What did they do? start noticing Um, then the pathos and logos the pathos is that we are human beings we we have both mind and a heart and pathos suggest that we're going to touch the emotion there's something we're going to do in the writing that can actually touch the emotion and then the logos is the reasoning and we're going to go from point to point, or we're going to... It, it's going to make sense to you what I'm saying, even so, can if, and I ask you a question here? Yes. um Do you think Ethos, Pathos, Logos have to be in that order? No, oh, no, no. It's just oh, that okay. they all three have to be established. But not okay. necessarily in that order, no. Okay, so why would I want to read something if I didn't think it was credible at, from the very get-go? Um... I guess what I meant is it's not linear. Like ethos could be established on the back of the book, not on the front. It's not like the first thing you always see. I guess that's what I mean. But yes, an ethos should be established in order to draw in your reader. So if I don't, if, if I don't have a, a good enough credibility on the back of my book, how, how else, you know, I mean I'm talking about papers here. How can I, as a student of TJYC or a student of Pyramid Project or a student of um, five, five Establish your ethos. Establish Some of it is ethos. Point, right, that's that's such a good question, and I hope the students will ask it, too. Um, one of the ways is the appearance that their paper comes in. Oh, Actually. I, okay, so what you're saying is if I have it in a, a, a folder that has a clear um, front and a binding on it, and it has a title page, and it has my, you know, are you talking about stuff like that? Yeah. Yep, and you can, as a teacher, can you can decide what will establish the credibility. Like I remember that I thought, you know, I should put a staple in my paper, and I thought it should be in this and that, and I quickly learned that the form that would establish my emphasis was a title page, a page behind it, my article, and have it in paperclip. And I, I mean, I love those are I love smaller what you skills. Can, yeah, I I love what you've what you've taught me about white space. I love that. Oh, that, yes. um Having enough white space so that it's readable um, makes it inviting. A huge difference. Yeah, it's really inviting. You know, and that—that that right there, I think that's a little bit of pathos. You know, emotionally, I'm okay with reading the book because it's got some white space on there. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Do you know that that little thing right there? I took an entire course at a college just on how the paper looks visually. That's it. That's a, an entire course for, you know, four months and the power that that, that has and how important it is. It, it was one of my favorite writing courses I've taken. I can't remember what it's called, <laughs> but that's what the point of class was. Um, so so the, the the pathos, once again, is the emotional connection. And, you know, there's different ways, that, but just start noticing in what you read. Start noticing what the author does to actually engage you emotionally. Not just, okay, I, I could just take an example of um, Hillary Clinton's book, It Takes a Village. She definitely engages her readers emotionally. She'll she'll tell a story that engages you emotionally and then she'll have some logos afterward and make a conclusion. Now, if you don't know rhetoric, you may not see the jump that um, the conclusion really is the wrong conclusion to make to that story or that it's twisted or that it um, actually is false. I mean, you have to actually be able to follow a line of logic to be able to see that, but even if you read Freud, it does the same thing. Um, so the logos that's connected to the pathos, that's the power of an orator or, a, um, or, or the rhetoric. A person can actually make a choice to get your emotions and then lead you wherever they want to lead you. And that is why it's important for us to know this because we can be led um, wherever the wind goes unless we have enough power to see at those pathos and logos and to say, oh, my gosh, that didn't follow this and this and this, and that's not a true if this, then this. And But I can see how they led me because my emotions are all tied up in that story and um so here's the conclusion that they brought but it's not a true conclusion or it is or um it, honestly uh, we could, we need to be able to do that when we read when we view media um to be able to see what the power that they've done with the pathos
0: with it the emotion to,
1: me to me. um they, we a lot of times get drawn in with that emotion that uh that one start oh something like um, of course mothers mothers and fathers are are really drawn in by we all want the best for our children right you know something like that that's right and and so then they'll say and therefore and they'll right. attach their logos their right reasons their logic. You're right. and i will and, and i will tell you something right now you can prove anything with a line of logic now sometimes you have to have leaps in your logic but if, if some people who cannot think who don't understand how to follow, follow a line of logic a lot of times don't see the whole in the logic or even the the original assumption that's what it law. is that's not seen the like assumption. um i i one of my favorite authors i love to read as as a um, not a good example I mean, <laughs> as a good example of something bad sorry um, she first says we all love our children we all want the best for them we we think we the, the children of America are so important to us we have to do something about it her base assumption is we who is we exactly and she means. She means the government we. And I disagree with her assumption of who we is. But if you don't know, if you can't understand how to uh, think enough to know who, what her base assumption is, then what will happen? You know, it's, I'm glad that you brought up assumptions. I was teaching in class of adults, there were probably twelve, and um, Me and the other team leader teacher asked, "What are the assumptions?" And we were discussing Dr. Dumas' book, Thomas Jefferson Education. And um, it was a colloquium, and we were trying to really not um, lecture. We were trying to really have just a colloquium where we were leading the discussion, but we weren't often lecturing every five minutes, right? And we had established that rule for ourselves before we started. And so but you know, when you we can choose to do a colloquium differently, right? yeah, because there's several ways you can do it, and at this one, we established we weren't going to lecture every five minutes <laughs> right. so um we I asked what is an assumption, what are his assumptions? We went around the room and everyone named his thesis, his point, his argument, and finally, my co-teacher uh defined. So, as uh, she has gifted with language, she defined far better than I could what assumption was and and said, what we mean is, you know, what are the things that he is basing his thesis, his arguments, and he's not explicitly telling you? think That's do? when the study of poetry comes into your uh, benefit, because when you are able to read poetry and really understand poetry, you you start to get an amazing understanding of how to see through the argument, how to see through the message, how to see through into the underlying uh, points that they're trying to start from. Right. Because how do you train your mind to do that? Yes. Well, I will tell you that I know that it's something we need to do better. We've got to train um Our students to do this better and be able to do it better ourselves because they couldn't answer they couldn't answer that that one of the assumptions of Thomas Jefferson's education is that um that he we we had a list that we previously had noticed were the assumptions and i'm I'm gonna stop right here because I'm't going to actually challenge all of you who've read the book to go in and find his assumptions. I'm not going to tell them to you <laughs> um they they couldn't come up with them. Um, it was, it was something that was so different of a question that they'd ever asked themselves, that they could find the thesis, they could find his arguments, they could find the thing that he wanted us to do, but they couldn't find the assumption. And it was interesting, but with, with the content, um, of the paper, we establish our ethos, we, um, touch people emotionally, and we reason with them. Now, I want to go through the four proofs of, um, how to reason, okay, and there there's four there's four proofs that it, it's not how to reason but just four proofs that we use when we reason, okay so can um, I, can I, can, yes. I, can I uh say something here uh, yes. some of you might be thinking I'm thinking to myself, oh wow, we sort of have opened a huge can of worms here by going into that um discussion on assumption and line logic and all that kind of stuff because Our reading is so, so, so important, Uh, our ability to read and our ability to see through. And this is why colloquium is so important, because if they are having good discussions on their books that they're reading, if they're having good discussions on the documents that they're reading and following the line of logic and the documents they're reading, this is really preparing them to be able to write. And in the colloquium, those kinds of things have to be brought up. What is the base assumption here? Who is their target audience? What is, what is the line of logic that they're trying to take us on? Yeah. Yeah. I remember. I, I wish, I wish as a, as a youth trying to write, because I tried to write, I mean, of course, I mean, we, we all wrote in our English classes or whatever, but I would try to write, I remember just yearning for the ability to go from where I was starting to where I was trying to get. I yearned for it. I wanted to be able to, to explain um, what I knew that I was trying to get to and from where I was starting because I didn't know the middle ground. I didn't know. Um, I could not think enough to be able to take them from here to there. And this is, and Elodie is right, in our reading and following other people going from here to there, we learn how to do it. Um, these are things to watch for, and these are things that our students can use. They can use one of the proofs is reason. We can see that da 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 da, and that means da 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 da, and therefore da 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 da. And it's just that simple. That you if you da 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 da, then it does da 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 da. It's just a it's a reason. It's it goes from here and here and here and and it feels um, reasonable. And and let let me just say um. I think the very best place for us to start this kind of um, uh, discussion or this kind of uh, discovery in writing is is in our core book. I, I just recently taught a Sunday school class to a bunch of young men and women who are fairly well educated all in college and, you know, uh, they're supposed to be educated. And um, we were reading in the book of John. Of John, 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 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, of the Bible, of the New Testament. And um, I was, I told them, I said, um, you, need to, you need to see John as, as an essay to the people, just as you need to see the writings of Paul as a letter to the people. And so I said, you need to look at this from the standpoint of, of what he's trying to say. And I took them to, first of all, what's his thesis? Second, of, well, no, First of all, what's his assumption? Second of all, what's his thesis? Third of all, what are his points about his thesis? And how, how, how many times does he reiterate his thesis in these three books? And you actually thought of sudden, what form is he using? Yeah. All of a sudden, we had I had 20, 25, 23 twenty-five, twenty-three-year-old young men and women who were looking at the scriptures like, oh. So, what you're saying here is he has a point? (laughs) No, no, no. I'm serious. Yeah. Wow. That he's trying to lead me to a point? Wow. You know? With me. He's trying to... Wow. He's trying to persuade me. He's trying to show me. Yeah. He's telling me something. And it's the most beautiful essay ever written. In my opinion, I just love John and the essay that he writes and, and the love of God you know, he tries to lead them to. But if they can see that, all of a sudden they can say, oh, I can do that. Yeah. Okay. So, our ability to reason. The second thing that we can use as a proof is actually personal experience. That's a valid proof. Remember when, um, you know, in C.S. Lewis's writing. Kirk says, "And and do you have any personal experience to bias your opinion? <laughs> you know, do you have something to to show for for what you're saying? And here's the funny thing: is um, in, in integral math, I establish one of the characteristics of a of a scientist is the fact that they never discount their observations, their personal experience." means everything because if they observe something that is different than what is concluded by society, they hold that evidence very sacred and and they, they don't discount it and say, oh, that's just me, but everybody else sees this. No. It is the very fact of their personal experience to say this evidence doesn't line up with what everybody is thinking. It... Personal experience is very important. So that's one of, that could be used as a proof or, um, as, as part of reasoning. The next one, yeah, okay, can I interject here on personal experience? Yeah, we, we may have a little problem with, um, when our, when our students use personal experience as a, um, as an example. And let me just tell you why. We have young children, young people who are uh, just experiencing life, and sometimes their interpretation of their experiences um, is a little bit... It's like, sometimes like, inaccurate. Inaccurate. There you go. And Thank so you. So then sometimes, as a mentor, we have to bring them to see the whole picture. I, I had this experience. And um, I, I'm not going to go into detail about names and who it is and all that kind of stuff, but I was uh, mentoring a young man, and he recently experienced a death in his family. that was very close to him. And um, he was writing a paper on Martin Luther King, Jr., Dr. King. And he uh, was very judgmental about the man and I'm not I'm not saying that Martin Luther King jr. didn't have some problems he did but he did some great things he did some good things for our society now uh, I think some of the reasons why we have problems with the outcome of what he did was because some of his personal problems but um, that's not the point. He was just really harsh on him. He didn't give him any space. He really ripped him up one side down the other and told him, and said, you know, everything he did is nil and void and has no good effect because he was such a bad person. And he was basing it on a personal experience that he had with this, uh, with this kind of uh, life experience, you know, the, the life that Dr. King led, And um I I said to him, what about this other personal experience? And I was able to take him to these two personal experiences that he had, because I knew him well enough to know that he had this death. And I had him compare it to this young uh, person who had died in his life, who died with great influence in his life. And I was able to get him to come to a better, greater understanding of his personal, of his personal experience in life because of the life of Dr. King. Now, some people would say, well, you shouldn't do that. You're just a writing mentor. But Tiffany, don't you think that that was the great thing of, of the great knock? That's exactly what, what C.S. Lewis's professor would do with him. He would have him see it from different angles. You know, just a writing mentor, you know what that means. It means just a life mentor. Because it means that you're getting into the heart and soul and the eyes of the person. Just a writing mentor is just a mentor who helps them understand themselves and the world around them and leads them to greater understanding.
0: And so if you have a really great good writing ability mentor, you
1: communicate it. If you have a really good writing mentor, they are going to go there with your youth, and sometimes it's the greatest experience because they are a complete and total sec- second witness to the parent, and hopefully they're you know they've got moral um, moral ground that that's high enough that this that the student is being turned back to a higher moral place. Yeah, the the third proof that um, can be used is um is revelation, the revealed word. This is one of the proofs that C.S. Lewis would use all the time. Both now there's two two places that this kind of revelation now of course it depends on who the audience is and what you're writing, okay? But there are two categories of revelation and one is um their personal core book, their canon, okay? And depending on who they're writing to, their personal aha's and revelation. And these are just some proofs that you can use in your writing. The fourth proof is called historicity, and that is historical evidence that we see that back in Roman days when they declined, women stopped having babies, and we see a correlation that in the United States the birth rate has dropped from blah, 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 and therefore we see that we may be on a road to declining. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm just showing how historicity can um, help add a proof to a point, um, and and that's where um, we can find ourselves that, gosh, man, I've got, I can't go from here to here because I've got nothing in my brain to show it. <laughs> Does that make sense? I have no understanding of history, as a person might say. I need to learn more so that I can take a person where I know it, it's true or where I have the feeling that it's true, where I think I want to go. Um, that's what's interesting about writing is that we often see what we don't know. Um, I'm going to go on now to how to um the structure and the form. This is the third point of editing. First thing is there are many forms of writing. And our goal is to learn many, to expose ourselves to many, and, and so read, 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 and read in different forms, and actually it's a really good idea to mimic a form. I saw this in, um, a friend of mine who's, who's taking a course at Georgewood College. She was reading to Tokyo, and she assigned herself a paper, and I read it, and they said, What are you doing? <laughs> And she said, oh, I'm mimicking. I said, why did you write this way? Because, you know, we're close enough. I know her voice, right? So, and it was a totally different voice. I said, why are you writing this way? She said, oh, I am writing in the style. And all of a sudden, I realized, I'm like, you are really smart. I remember doing this in, in in trying to write in Longfellow style and trying to write in Emerson style. And actually doing that because it helps us find our voice it helps us expand the impact of our own voice. And it's the right way to do it. It's the way we learn to talk. It's the way we learn to walk. It's how we learn to cook. It's actually how we learn is by mimicking. And so she said, I'm I'm writing in de Tocqueville's um, style. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what a hard style. <laughs> you know? And And so I then, because I could immediately see her form. I'm like, this is not what I expected when I was reading a paper. Tell me what you're up to. And she knew exactly what she was doing. And what happens in um, mimicking forms is you can finally own a form. You Pretty soon, you're not just mimicking. You own it. You can actually write that way. You can capitalize on using that form. Do you have any comments on this, Nelody? I'm... There are actually I actually, some that I'm going to go through. Actually, I do. I just wanted to mention here that um, using the category of prose and of poetry is actually defining a form. What kind of yes. form are they using? They're using prose. You know, it, It's a, a form of language that they use. I, I just want to do... That's that right. Sense. And here's a general thing that can happen in almost any form that you use. Even if you're just writing a poem, or if you're writing a letter, or if you're writing an essay, or if you're writing a book, um, these, I want to go through two different ways to state what happens to us, okay? First of all, it lures you in, And, and the youth love it. If you will teach these five words to them, they love it. It helps them have something to go, oh, I think I can do that, and I'm going to use this or this, lures them in. And then catches them. Catch them. C-H. C-A-T-C-H, right? That's right. <clears throat> and then... Lure them, catches them. Yep. Then you match it... With and your... hold them. And then you release with a challenge. Lure, catch, match, hold, release. That's right. Right? That's right. Another way to say doing this, and this is the form that's used over and over in the New Testament, okay? And the New Testament is written, okay? And that is, something is declared. It's usually principle, but something is declared. Then it is clarified using a story or a metaphor or it's stated again. Okay, so something's declared, then clarified, then it is verified. You see how that um, um, aligns itself with holding? Okay, because you're, you're you're still on the same train of thought. You're still going forward. I'm holding. I'm going to now verify what I'm telling you, which is um, establishing um, irrefutable evidence, or more so because we are we are creatures of reason. Um, Oftentimes, it uses authorities to verify, okay? Then, it's testified, or the truth is stated again. So declare, verify, no, clarify, clarify, verify, and testify. And I just call this the way.
0: We're interrupting this broadcast to invite you to ask questions or share your epiphanies in the comment section. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving us a good review on the platform you are using, because that really helps others find our content. Also, check out our website at LemmyMentorTraining.com. And and we will we will
1: realize as we uh, start teaching and mentoring with and writing that each person has their own specific special style they like to follow. I have one student who. He, he can't really even he can't say anything unless it's in poetry because he he doesn't want to uh, betray his thoughts on paper and if he if he uses prose it makes him feel like he's betraying his thoughts so if he uses poetry he th- he feels like people are allowed to have their own thoughts and that his thoughts are in there somewhere. Oh, that's interesting. And he he likes story and he likes he likes uh, poetry
0: I let him write in
1: that that's right Then the next point of editing is the flow to to increase our ability to have good flow um, a really good way to practice is to become good at telling a story
0: and reading your
1: audience because there's different ways to tell a story there's the way that you're going to tell it uh, there's a there's a balance, there's an art to actually speaking when you're telling a story, and that is that you read how interested your audience is to how many details they want versus if you have them enough that you can go as slow or fast as you want before you get to your point. Tiffany, can I, can I yes. go back just a, a back to our forms because I think they're so important and I think they're yes. so key to help, helping our mentors, this is what really, uh, because I'm able to hold on to following a form, I'm really able to uh, make sense of somebody's paper. So I I have an example of a paper here that I want to just read um, from one of my students. And I'm going to read you her first draft, okay? The question is, this is TJYC, the question is, do you agree with John Brown's actions in order to abolish slavery? And why or why not? And uh, this is how it starts. She has a date in the right-hand corner. And then she says, I'm so confused as to what to think about John Brown. I read that he read the Bible, loved his family, believed in freedom for all, and fighting for what was right. Yet he could stand by and watch his sons kill many, taking the husbands away from their wives and fathers away from their children without without flinching. John Brown proclaimed himself a man of God, but how could he, a, a true man of God kill so many of his, chil- of his children without a second thought? Um, a man from my core book, he was a man of God. He was sent by his father to um, retrieve the plates from um, an evil man, Laban, who was a real danger to his family when when Heavenly Father told him to kill the man, Nephi hesitated. He had not wanted to take away his life from any any man, not even. Okay. Did, do you do you, do you, do you hear a a uh, lure or a um catch in those two sentence those two paragraphs? I'm going to read you the next one. And then you tell me what you think. Okay, this is her rewrite. Okay? Okay. And I'll read that to you. Okay, she has a date in the right-hand corner. And then she has a title that says, John Brown's Influence. And then she has a space. And now everything is is double-spaced. And her margins look very nice. And she starts out, John Brown read the Bible. He loved his family. He believed in freedom for all and fighting for what was right. Yet he could stand by and watch his sons kill, taking husbands away from wives and fathers away from their children. He was against slavery and dedicated his life to to its abolishment. But his methods of disposing of slavery were wrong. Wow. I got a comment on how she actually clarified her thoughts through writing. She found... Her own opinion by writing that first paper. That first paper was an exploratory paper for her to find what she really thought, yeah, and have a conversation with herself. Yeah, that, that, exactly. That is so beautiful. Those and are. Can two, you see? Yeah. Can you see her, how her her brain just is working to yeah. get what she was trying to think? Yeah. Yeah, and then she was able to state it clearly and concisely, and that is such a perfect example of why we write. That yeah. is why we write. That is one of the reasons we write, is to know ourselves. But you see, it was, form. So it was form that helped me realize, you know, she's got a bunch of rambling in this first page. She has never given me a catch. I'm not ca- caught at all. She's trying to lure me in by a story that uh, is interesting. And I sort of like, I'm so confused I that whole idea. But she was so much more concise and so much more... Um, to the it actually brought her to her conciseness. Her yes. her first draft helped her find herself. That but That is such a good... She wouldn't thing. have done it if she had not had good mentoring. No, yeah, the mentor she helped would, her. Yeah, She would have gone on with this paper without a problem. I had to sit down with her and say, okay, this is a really great start. So why are you confused? Yeah, is and what... Is there any way at all that you can say, I disagree or agree with him? Is there any part that you can agree with or disagree with? And then she started saying, Well, yes, I can agree with him that he was a Bible reader and that he saw himself as a self-prophet. I mean, a a self-appointed prophet. I can see that that is is a point, and sometimes that's true, and that he might have had mission here, but it was wrong for him to do. And it was as soon as I could get her to really nail that and say that, then she was able to write the second paper. But it was because I could see the form. Right, right. Wow, that is great. That's good. Okay. So go on um, Yeah, the the flow of a paper, um is the ability to go from from this to this to that, it bridges the main stories with narrative. It's, it's the kind of the line of logic. It's also a little bit of the personal style or the humor of the person who's writing. Um, it's taking. It's being able to see how the person is bringing you along. The weave inside of the tapestry. That's it's the flow, and um, the flow really matters because if there's a stop and a gap in the flow, then somebody could put your paper down, somebody could put your book down. Um, to be able to edit and help the student continue their flow, it's, it's an energy thing. It's the vibrancy of the paper and of what is written. It's the frequency almost. It, it flows in a certain way, and um, you establish a, a contract with your reader. Um, at the very beginning, you establish... What kind of, um, like if, if you're writing in the form of a story, there's, there's four different contracts that you could make with your reader when you begin, depending on where you start your story. Um, Orson Scott Card teaches, and I, you know, maybe I'm going to have to email this out to everybody or talk about it for a second on the next call because I don't even have it in front of me, but he, he teaches the mice quotient, um that if it's a milieu story, here's how you start your story. The biggest problem with writers, he says, is they start in the wrong place. And I cannot tell you how true this is. I was given a book last week by some really good friends of mine, and they said, this book is incredible. Let's have a colloquium. They established a date for us to get together. They, You know, five or six families are reading this book. My husband came home. He said, how's the book? And I said, I can't tell you how mad I am. (laughs) He said, what? I said, I'm on page 30, and the author has started the story three times already in three different places. I said, I'm so frustrated. I haven't written read a book that's poorly written in a long time. I said, it's really frustrating to me because each place that this person has started is really good and I'd like him to finish the story for me. And I got so frustrated with the book that I did what you have to do when you have the ability to read. I then skimmed the book to and got the point and most of the message, I handed it to my husband, and I said, would you please read me, read the rest of the book, and and tell me the rest of the point, because they have so thoroughly muddled me up, by beginning in so many places, and not having a flow, and the form is so poorly written, that I'm having a hard time getting the message out of this book, and the reason why I gave it to my husband, is because part of the message of the book, and I could tell this, was actually the technology, that one of the points, was government form and um, a utopian society that actually exists in a Colombian area and what happened in the peace that they established and the music that they had and and, and there were so many messages, but one of them was actually technology, The, the solar energy that they used, the power that they used, how they generated it, it was pretty technical, literally, like the highest minds in the world went there and did things and so i asked rick i said please could you read that and help me understand some of this technology that i don't understand (laughs) i do that all the time with my husband (laughs) i mean i can't follow this flow enough to actually get into the technology anyway i gave it to my son to read too i said jacob here's a great read for you and so and i didn't tell him anything i didn't tell him my experience of how frustrating it was the author started in three different places or anything I, two days later said, how's it coming? He goes, oh, it's great. I'd really like to go live there. And then a day later I said, how's it coming? He goes, I just, I, I'm so confused. I'm so lost. <laughs> he found the same thing I did because of the author's flow. The author right. didn't know where to start the story. He, it came, from, it was such a confusing thing to the author, his confusion came through. I mean, it, 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 but the the point is still there, and so I'm going to work it out and say there is a message here for me, and my friend was right. This is an absolutely incredible book, and we're going to have an awesome discussion, but it's really frustrating that the author couldn't keep their contract with me. He okay, began at so a certain place and should have ended in a certain place. I, I have a I have an example here of, of flow, an improvement on flow. So I'm going back to this two, these two these two papers, the first one, I read part of it to you, and she tells the story of this man in her core book, and he said, and she continues. She says um, that um, how can it be that these both both these men were men of God? Um, and she kind of makes a point about the how could he, how could this man Nephi, who killed a, who killed a person, be a man of God, and how could uh, John Brown be a man of God, and and then she goes on and says, John Brown hated slavery, loved slaves, and kept a little bit more rambling on. Well, let me go to the next page, the, the other paper that she fixed. Okay, so this is, she ends, she ends her first paragraph. His methods of disposing slavery were wrong. The, Can- the Kansas-Nebraska Act passed in 1854 allowed the citizens to, to of the said states, decided by popular vote whether their territories would become free states or not. What should have been a swift and easy settlement soon became a war between the opposing sides. So instead of going into trying to prove her point right away, she's going to tell a little bit more about John Brown and his story. Okay, so now she's saying she goes on. Both pro-slavery and abolitionists fight uh, fought violently, holding protest hostages and taking over towns as if to frighten those opposing into uh, submission. Neither side was right, or for both were using anger as their greatest tool instead of speaking out and finding peaceful ways to convince others. The people of Kansas were thrown into a frenzy of violence, hearing about the burning of the Free States, Hotel and the beating of the abolitionist congressman John Brown. Let his anger get to the best of him and decided to act. His impatience. Okay, so now she's explaining about John Brown. And his story, and what made John Brown tick, and why she disagrees with him. That was her first fix, was flow. As soon as she could say, wait, I got to tell a little bit about John Brown first before I can go to proving him wrong, I have to get my readers' buy in. Wow. Yeah. And the reason I was able to mentor her through that is because I understood flow. This doesn't flow. You're 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 all saying all these confused things, and then you're all of a sudden throwing in your proofs before you've even given me a reason to be confused with you. <laughs> or, uh, you know, in the other paper, before you can even, you know, allow me to 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 be buy into your statement that he the way he did it was wrong. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and a great uh, something that I really like to show my students is I will uh sometimes I have to work backwards because I get the paper, and then I will pull out their outline from the paper, and that's how I can help them fix flow, just like that's what you're. Good and exactly. so a, a mentor works backwards, and what it does is it teaches the student to to work forward, because if I pull out an outline, I'll say, okay, I can tell from your paper that this was your outline. And, and they'll be like, oh, man, that was my outline? Wow. <laughs> you know? And then we can work from an outline point of view, like, let's go to here and let's go to here and let's go to here. You know, the crazy thing that is so fun. Last night, I, I was teaching a seminar. And um, this happens to me all the time. I do not know why I do this, but I do this all the time. I will um, decide my no, field do that I want to teach. And that will help me know. Um, what stories I want to use and what points I want to make and how I'm going to verify it. And then I'll write my outline, how I'm going to use it. And then a couple days later, I'll um, rearrange the whole thing. I'll have the same story, the same point, the same thing, but I'll come at it from a whole different angle with a whole different logic, line of logic. And I consistently, I consistently will... um, Get the same message and write it three times, and have a, three completely different flows, and then um, pick the one I want. But the flow is so important because the flow is what makes you uh, um, a great convincer. Because well, if, you al- if you can gently allow the the audience to come with you, yeah. And uh, I'll I'll tell you. Um, my my friends and uh, we. I have a, a, a group here that we have a study group, and uh, we. One of the ladies proposed that we watch this movie together with a, a film that was on one of the books that we were reading, and um, she she emailed us the link, and we all watched the movie before we came and to discuss it. And um, it, when I started watching the movie, I, I had great issue with the movie, and I I. I don't have so much great issue with the book. I really actually have enjoyed write, re- reading the book. But I, um, the, the issue I took, I realized right from the very get-go, the guy is, the whole point of this book is emotionalism. I mean the movie, is emotionalism and its flow is all, all chopped up. And I think part of the reason why he does it is to confuse my mind so that I'll buy into his emotionalism. So sometimes that's a that's a valid um way. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, sometimes. And that's why if you know the rules, you can break the rules. Or you can say what is the impact I want, okay, this is how I'm gonna do it. Um and so the more we know, we know what other people are trying to do to us is important. I mean this really is about who we are and who's having influence on us. Writing is all about influence. Okay. Now last one, grammar and punctuation two things to know: one, know the rules um and get the students to want to know the rules and Strength and white is a great way um, a a great resource there there are several um know when to break the rules and um find people who know the rules better than you and have them edit <laughs> like we are with our all of our writings right now, trying to get um people who are even better than we are um, to Tiffany, can, I, to can I just tell you here um, there are so many great grammar and punctuation editors in the world today because that's all we learned in, in school so you know I, I don't even waste my time with that I, I tell my kids my students you know I'm really good with content structure flow you make sure you get a good grammar and punctuation edit editor you know your mom your dad whoever is really good at it and have them do it because I will tell you You can find them almost anywhere you go. Most people, if you say, well, you edit my paper, that's what they are going to edit it for. We um, try and get our writing mentors to do all six points and to understand, okay, I'm going to look at your paper specifically today for flow. I'm going to look at your paper today specifically for grammar and punctuation. You actually wear a different hat. You put on a different hat depending on what edit you're looking at. And you'll have a much better edit if you wear that hat and edit it for that thing. And sometimes you just say, "I'm going to look and see the thing that's going to strike me." It's usually going to be structure that strikes you first. Um, but you're right. Now, uh the, the, the bottom question, the bottom line is, why do we write? I, I'll why tell write? You, I'll tell you. I don't have. I don't. I spend so much time on 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 target audience content flow. That I you know in the two hours that I get with them once a, uh, w- a week i
0: <clears throat> on an
1: individual coaching basis, I don't have time to go over grammar and punctuation, and I usually have all my students get a book called Easy Grammar and I have them start studying it themselves and ask them to start uh correcting their own punctuation and grammar th- with that book and the other book I really like is eat she- uh Eat shoots and leaves and um okay. that helps them, that helps them with punctuation so um I think a great exercise is to get them to start um,
0: <clears throat>
1: noticing their own grammar and their own punctuation problems and making the fixes there. That's that's really good.
0: Anyway, okay,
1: go um, there we've gone through a couple things already of why we write. Sometimes it's to clarify things in our in our own mind and in our own life. We write to have personal influence. We write to communicate most often we the biggest motivator for why we write is love. Um I I was looking at three pieces of writing that I'd been reading at the time and I thought, okay, why why did this person write? One of them was um Cory Boom was put in isolation in Holland. She had helped you know, Jews escape and she'd been captured and they put her in isolation and they delivered a box to her on her birthday. And um she got some things, and that was fine. And she had this thought. She remembered how they used to send secret messages. And she took a moment. She took the stamp off the box, and there, scribbled in pencil, ever so tightly was a message written. And it said, six o'clock, delivered safely, something like that. And she fell on her knees and sobbed. I mean, you know, the gifts that she was given were fine, but what made her fall on her knees and sob was a message written to her and the communication written to her that the the six Jews that they had tried to help escape were now um, had escaped. And I thought, why did that person who sent that package to her risk her life to send her a message? Why would she do that? And it was because of love. We write... We write because of love. And I, I had, um the other thing that I had recently read was this story of a, a boy, <laughs> a, a young man who was captured by a gang. And they were gonna do him in. <laughs> they, they, I, they were deciding if they were gonna beat him up, if they were gonna hang him, if they were going what they were gonna do, they were gonna do him in. And in the middle of, of the gang beating him up, a letter fell out of his pocket. And a gang leader picked it up, um, sat down on the stump, and read the letter. After he read the letter, he stuffed the letter back in the boy's pocket, the man's pocket, and called his gang off. And um, then he he said to the man, he said, "I had a mother once too," and they laughed. And you think about um, it, it's it's love. The, what we write, the impact that it has on people literally, um, uh, is love. I mean, that's the strongest reason for writing. And, um, that's. No, Tiffany, I think, uh, it, it, what you say has to really be thought about because, and a lot of people can throw up their objections and say, well, no, you know, I know someone who wrote this book or, and the reason he wrote the book was because, you know, of hate. He wanted he wanted us to hate it. I guess there's a big controversy about... Um, well, you're totally I mean, right, because I'm saying the highest reason people write is love. Yeah, and it's yeah. going to be that spectrum. The lowest form is going to be hate. So it's going to be anywhere along that spectrum. So what you're saying, what you're challenging us to do is get to a place that we write be- for love. And we don't just write to please our teachers or write to please our parents or write to please ourselves but we we begin to write because we love because because we we can see an important message sometimes that. that i'm not even sure if if that's what i'm saying i'm just saying that the the things that have the most impact um are going to be on those two spectrums um that that the well just that the highest reason for why write um I think the highest reason is love, but um, it does two things: it gives us personal influence and it communicates. It also it motivates. You know, it's, um, it's, I remember yeah. when I was writing my book, I, I, I don't have the slightest clue why I wrote a book. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't. I told you I didn't have a book in me, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I, I
1: could. could but I, I could. <laughs> what did you say? And so now you have so many, you're keeping us busy. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's crazy, isn't it? But I, I, I could see, um, that people were in need. And I had some things that could help them. And, um, I, I wanted to help. I wanted to be a servant. And I could, I could, when I could go there in my mind and in my heart, it was easy for me to say, oh, yeah, I can write this. I will tell you, a Melody, it is the most amazing, amazing thing to see the journey. from. I remember uh, just, just the, from my point of view, I remember one time in Cedar City, this was several years ago, and it was when your uh, co-op was struggling for its existence and it was going to go the way of all co-ops, which is <sighs> south. And um I remember I was out jumping on the trampoline, sometimes in good weather, that's what I do for my exercise. I, I was on a big trampoline, I was jumping and jumping and I was talking to you. We were talking for about an hour and um you were sharing with me, um and I bought into your vision and your mission and I knew. I knew with every fiber of my being to support you in the struggle that your co op was having and in your mission that you felt you had, that you there was a great mission in what was happening. And then over time watching the emergence of the Commonwealth, and I will tell you that I feel so passionate about the fact that there is an educational form, that we are not reliant on public or huge donation funds in order to educate our children in a true and honest way to develop um, educated moral people that I, I mean I just think about this, uh, even a natural disaster, what could happen e- even with Hurricane Katrina where they didn't have schools and they had to depend upon the government and um, or generous hands to educate their kids because they didn't know this form. And I think about the power that we have that we can give the highest quality education to our children for pennies for pennies do you know how many arguments are then tossed out uh, there are so there is so much money in, in education and so much fighting going on that oh my gosh my kids won't get a good get good education cuz we don't have a computer in our classroom or do you know what I mean i'm just the pettiest thing about yeah. Blaming, my kid can't have an education because of this or because of that or because of this. And what everybody really believes, the assumption that education is tied to money or education is tied to 40 hours in the classroom or education is tied to the best building or education is tied to living on the right side of town or whatever it is and the truth is, education is tied to the parent's ability to... Thomas Jefferson education and have a commonwealth school I mean the our assumption versus the other assumption it blows me away the freedom that we will be able to have um, if in any type of crisis because of this educational form sometimes I just sit with uh, and say oh my gosh oh my gosh It amazes me the confidence that I can have, knowing that my children can have an incredible education, whether our country ever went to war, or whether there was a natural disaster, or whatever, because of the form that we have. Mm -hmm. I I just got a phone call yesterday from a lady uh, in one of the Commonwealth schools, and she said, "You've really been on my mind lately. I just wanted to tell you I had a dream." And uh, she told me the dream that she had, and I was in the dream, and, and uh, it was a very symbolic dream. And she said to me, I really feel like this dream, the, the, the message of this dream was to let me know that the what we are doing is just so much bigger than ourselves, so much bigger than what we think it is. It's so much bigger than what's right in front of our face. And we, if we don't keep that perspective, we will quit. Well, it, it's interesting because, once again, the scholar projects in any other form can still give us a scholar-phase education, but a commonwealth grows a community, and, and it's, it's two different things. It, it may seem like we're all about um, scholar-phase education for youth, but it's more. It's about community forms, family forms, and educational forms. Okay. We have ten minutes left. We're going to open it up, ask any questions you want on the writing process. <laughs> Here we go.
0: Annality. Yes. This is Mary Taylor. Hi, I am hi, just Mary. um hi. Great um discussion today, by the way, as they always are. I'm just wondering what the other name of the Grammar and Punctuation book was. There was Easy Grammar, and what was the other one? It's called Eat, Shoots, and Leaves.
1: It's very funny um, and, and a fun, fun book for, for kids to read. I usually have my YC students read it, um, and it's a um, it's, it's a book on punctuation, and it has some panda bears on the front. And it has eats, with a comma, shoots, and leaves. So. Oh, okay. Okay, so you can eat, shoots, and leaves. Okay? So he eats, he shoots, and then he leaves, right? Or you can take the comma out where there's a picture of the panda painting out the comma where it says, eat, shoots, and leaves. Does the panda eat, shoots, and leaves? Yeah, they eat Uh bamboo shoots and leaves. (laughs) <laughs> great. Or does a panda eat, shoot, and then leave? <laughs> anyway, it's, it's a great awesome. lesson on, on uh on punctuation and how important it is in the message. Great and it's a very Thank funny you. read
0: very, very entertaining. Wonderful. Thank and you. And the other so one much. that I
1: the other one I recommend is Clearing the Way by Romano. It's called
0: Clearing the Way. And this is Clearing the
1: me, mm-hmm. Clearing the Way by Romano.
0: Okay, and then Tiffany, also I wanted to ask you 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 mentioned Orson Scott Card. Is there a particular book of his or whatever you know, is about flow? I blown? haven't
1: tried this, but I would say uh, Google him, see if he's got a website, see if he has it up. I remember at one point he had it up on a website, I think. Um, but it's called the Mice Quotient, M I C E, because the, oh, okay. the four. Four stories are milieu, idea, character, and event stories. And depending on which story, kind of story you're telling, you make a contract with them, and you need to start in the right place. And he teaches you the right place to start.
0: Okay. It's awesome. And then the uh, the book uh, you said clearing the what? What was that? Clearing the way. Clearing the way. Okay. Yeah. Alrighty, fabulous. Thank you. You bet. Mm.
1: Hi, this is Sheila. Hi, Hi Sheila. Hi, um, can you recommend a good book um, or a way to teach kids how to take notes? Because I'm a horrible na- note taker myself. You so it, uh I will tell you the very best thing for me was a Thomas Jefferson planner. You can okay. get those through, through classic books. Uh, I did not know how to take notes at all when I started uh, Thomas Jefferson education. I was very random and very whatever. And um I Tiffany gave me her she her creation, Thomas Jefferson planner. And um it in there it has sheets of it has paper in there where it says write a little summary, write with some of your ideas, write um, you know you know, and then other other notes. And it started training my mind. It's not some the the uh, form that you use which, that that comes with a planner, um, is not something that you want to stick with forever because it's never going to have be enough space for you. Okay. Right? But, but for the a 12-year-old, yeah, but for a 12-year-old, it's perfect to train them how to take notes. Well, and it's a form. That one trains you how to take notes on books um, where you learn how to see assumptions, you learn what your own ahas are, you learn what the themes are, you um, take notes of vocabulary, all of that. And when you're taking notes, on a lecture, um, here are some key things to realize as you take notes. And you can put them anywhere you want on the page. Some people cut their page in half with a line. Uh, You you need to have a system, though, a designated where you put these things. One is the content of what they're saying, and you can take some notes on some of the content. Um, Two is um, your ahas that you have while they're teaching. Um, Three, this is one of the most important, and I do this in the bottom right-hand corner. I draw a box. It's my actions. It's what the light communicated from heaven to my soul of what I'm going to now go do about it. Because great lectures usually inspire me to take an action. And then at the top, I usually have either a list of books that they've inspired me that I need to put on my book-to-read list, or vocabulary that they've used that I need to go look up because I didn't want to interrupt their conversation and say, uh, will you please tell me what that meant? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, those are some things that we like to train the students to use as they take notes. Okay. That, that, that There's a difference. There's the content. There's their ahas. There's their action. And there's um, a list of references. Okay. Thank you. That helps a lot. You bet. This is Lindy Omer. I have a question uh, for either one of you about what do I do after I get the students' papers? Exactly. I'm just barely starting. Do you have practice scholar students or apprentice scholar students? Yeah, they're practice. This is Key of Liberty. I am brand new at this. Okay. When you I get there, they're in a practice state. Uh, this is what I like to do. And Melanie and I will both answer this because we both do it a little different. I enter into a written conversation with them. So I'm reading, they're writing to me, and I'm going to write back, and I'm going to say, oh, my gosh, I never thought of that. And I'll just comment, or I'll say, that is so interesting, or "I never," or did you ever think of this, too? I just actually get in the, and, and um, sometimes it's rhetorical, and I don't expect them to write back. Sometimes I actually expect them now to engage in a written conversation with me and write back. Like I say, I, this is so good. Did you ever know that this happened? Um, and what do you think of this? And then I expect them to actually continue the, their thoughts on paper and <laughs> write back to me. In but the best, for and, and scholars, I don't give them DAs because they're, the DA is the fact that they're just writing all the time. Right. So that's something. They're writing, they should be writing every week something. Right. Well, so do I continue the conversation on the next writing assignment, or I I don't always make them write back, but I will write comments to them. And if they come, because we're creating an environment for them to come and say, "I want to do this better," then you can begin the coaching process of, "Oh, well, let me tell you what a thesis is." And let me tell you, let me tell you right now, um, your most important person. In this link here is the parent, because if the parent isn't uh, mentoring them at home on their practice scholar papers, you aren't going to have a lot of influence. How do I get the parent to do whatever it is that I'm that they need to do? Either you need to. Where where are you located? In Moapa. I'm in the Logandale pod with Raina Stop. Okay. Either you need to have some kind of training for your parents, um, where, uh, they, you know, come and you, you teach them the writing process, or they all need to get to, a, um, a mentoring hero generation seminar where right. I talk about that. Mm-hmm. I know some of you, some of you did down there. Right. Get to the, the, and then you need to just be very clear with parents. You know, if you have contact with them continually, if you have email, please make sure that you are mentoring with your students in their papers. Um, you know, I'm I'm giving them questions. They need to be discussing it with you. Okay. And, and let, let them, them know a, let them know that the biggest thing you're looking for is are you thinking? Well that's what we're trying to do. And I do Perfect. write and respond to every single one of them every single week when they write a paper, but um, I just was wondering how to be more, how do I implement all this wonderful stuff that you're teaching? Do I just comment how good they're doing because they're yes. thinking, or do I do all of this other wonderful structure? As, as a practice, you're going to want to just have lots of encouragement. The, okay. The, 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 lecture today, the lecture today on writing is specifically for Pyramid Project students and TJYC students. So it's i do not for practice Scholar. Last week's last uh, discussion was on practice Scholar. Okay. Thank did you. you. Did you hear? Did you hear that lecture two weeks ago? Yes. I, and I yes, I loved it all. I was just wondering how to implement okay. all this other good stuff in what the I'm other doing. Yeah, the other stuff you're going to do when, uh, when you take your kids on to the next level. Okay. Very expert. Okay. Thank you very
0: thank, much. You
1: bet. And thank you. Any other questions? Yes, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. What's
0: um your name?
1: my name is Lori Ann Farrell. And Laurie-Ann. I I am wanting to make sure that I have the six point the six points down because okay. I am kind of <laughs> a crazy note taker. I'm learning as well how to uh Well, we're do a little crazy well. in the <laughs> way we present sometimes. <laughs> well <laughs> no, so I, I love it. I, I love it. I, so I have target audience, content, and then I have the, um, the three, the pathos logos and. No, 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 SOS. no, 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 no. That target audience, content, okay, uh, structure. Structure. Yeah, in structure, then we talked about, no, in content we talked about ethos pathos logos. Okay, okay that, okay, alright. So that's on structure. Content flow, where am I, target audience, content, structure, flow, uh, grammar, and punctuation. Okay. So structure, then flow, and then grammar and punctuation. Yeah. Is that right? So am I, I only have five. Is that, (laughs) well, you can, you can make grammar and punctuation one, or you can make them two. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Okay. So grammar punctuation would be separate. Mm-hmm. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that I'm you bet that you bet. I got it right. So thank you so much. And I gotta tell you right now, I, I people are gonna argue with me so they're blue in the face with this, but I'm gonna tell you it is in that order. You have I agree. To, I, I agree. you have to mentor from that order. If you have if you don't have a target ad, audience, I really don't care where your periods are. If you don't have something to say, I really don't care if you say we was going. I don't care yet. If you yeah, don't know I, what your structure is, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I I totally agree with that. So I thank you for that clarification. That I think that's very important. Okay. Thank you um for your comments and for your questions and feel
0: free to email us. <laughs> All right. All right, bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. Just as in every Lemmy training, we hope you walk away uplifted and inspired, but also empowered to be a better mentor for your family and your community. Please be sure to subscribe and share. We also want to express our gratitude to all the Lemmy mentors, past and present. You got this. You can do hard things.